Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. This is Michael McGraw here with Michael Shutt. And today, we are going to be talking about some rivalry stuff, delving into Virginia's loss against Virginia Tech, looking ahead to championship weekend. But first, we got to give some props to the GOAT. We've chronicled this few months ago but kansas state crop judging mm. <laughs> one of the most dominant teams in college sports just won its 32nd national championship in the last 100 years sweeping both of the big competitions every man a wildcat congratulations kansas state unbelievable i mean have we ever seen dominance on this level anywhere? i don't think so no Renee St. Clair, awesome performance. Junior from Almosa, Colorado, really came out. She was the individual champion, which was a one-two-three sweep across the major crop wow. judging categories, whatever they are. Yeah, unbelievable. Shout out to Renee going out there, judging those crops like it's her job, which it soon will be, I assume. To clarify, the three categories were grain grading, sure. seed analysis, and identification. Awesome. I love the identification. I'm sure that I said this exact thing when we talked about it. Yeah. But I love the concept that there's a competition where somebody looks at a plant and says, that's corn. I got it. <laughs> See, <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I could do pretty well that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guess ass- it's like looking at the seeds. Or- oh, I assume it's, I mean, I assume it's more complicated than just that's corn. <laughs> well... If not, then severe missed opportunity by me because I think I could, I should have missed your calling. I could have been an all time great. Yeah. Well, congratulations to Kansas State. Another dominant performance. And now to talk about a performance that was considerably less dominant UVA. UVA football ending their season with a disastrous loss to rival Virginia Tech 55 17. The game never felt competitive from really the outset, but several mistakes really doomed Virginia early on in the game. Tech just ran all over them. Like it was, it literally, uh, Drones was running on them, Tootin was running over them, and then that allowed them to do some play action stuff, which resulted in big plays, over 500 yards of total offense for the Hokies. Only 43 rushing yards for the Hoos. Just a disaster. Complete disaster for Virginia. And now we are left wondering what's next for a program that had some promising moments this season, but ultimately is a 3-9 and nine team, which is about what people expected and what Vegas expected at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously always hard to lose to your rival, Never something you want to do, especially in this fashion. Although I, I was thinking about this and talking with some people the other day watching the game. I almost, if if you're going to lose, if you're going to lose a tech, does it feel better? Not feel better. No. That's not the way. I know. That's not what I meant to say. But is it easier, I guess, to watch and digest knowing like this game that early on you're you're out of it? And it's just, you know, you don't have heartbreak at the end. I almost like, I mean, I, I don't know. I was trying to frame this as thinking about if, it, if State were losing to Carolina like this. Like, would I rather lose at the very end of the game or would I rather just like know from the outset this thing is over? And 
I don't know if I know the answer. Is there any sort of in watching this game? Is it not again not comfort, not like whatever? But was there kind of a moment for you early on where you were just like, huh, okay, well, this is what's going to happen today, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yes, that is the feeling, and. I guess the benefit of that feeling was that I got to watch the end of the Alabama-Auburn game, which was high drama. But it sucks to see a gap of talent that wide between you and your rival, especially when Tech is not that good of a team. I mean, I will just say, like, congratulations. They deserve the win. They completely outplayed us. But this is a 6-6 and team that had to win that game to get into a bowl. They are not a championship caliber team they're not contending for the ACC it's not like some years where tech is ranked and they just stomp you and you're like okay I get it this 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 was a reasonable chance the line had gone down to like one and a half right before the game so I never bought that though I didn't either but I'm just saying yeah yeah. like there was a reasonable chance that UVA could have won this game given Tech's talent level. But I think it it is clear that UVA did not have the matching talent level or game planning or preparation in order to win this game. So all of that is bad. I tried to zoom out from this, though, and kind of think about where we're at as a program because I think that is more productive. You can lose any game in this college football landscape Sometimes you just don't show up. These are still 19, 20, 21-year-olds. Sometimes they're just not ready for games. That happens to most programs that aren't Georgia. Tony Elliott is going to be back next year. I know there are a lot of people who were very upset about this loss, but Tony Elliott's going to be back. It seems we're recording on November 29th, so maybe something changes between that, but it certainly appears that he is going to be back. 6-16 Six and 16 overall record. That's not great. Of course, there's, you know, if you, if you want to look at just the pros and cons of everything, not everything can be attributed just to Tony Elliott, though, I think it's fair to say. But if you're an optimist, you could look at this team and say they had five one-score losses or close losses they that they were in or leading in the fourth quarter. Some of those pan out better, and this is conceivably a bowl team. You have some young talent. In, in Anthony Calandria, Cam Robinson, who today on Twitter have both been actively recruiting other people. So seems like they're not poised to immediately jump in the transfer portal, which is always a concern at this point in the year. And you got somebody in and Malik Washington, amazing, like Bolitnikoff semifinalist off the transfer portal. And so maybe that gives you hope that you can replicate that again with other people. The players played for Tony Elliott. They played, they, he kept them going and at following a tragedy that was extremely difficult. They managed to have a season that they were competitive in a lot of games, which was not a given. That was absolutely not a given at the beginning of the year. I continue to try to take like an outsider's perspective on UVA as a non-fan, but as someone who lives in Charlottesville, pays a lot of attention, obviously spends way too much time in my life talking to you which means I have to talk about UVA sometimes like but I try to I'm trying to zoom out back from like I'm just observing this program look I I know this isn't something that as a fan is the way that you feel like the fact that they played games this year 
feels like a win. Uh, with what happened, like, I just think you can't lose perspective on that. And and scrolling through Twitter the other night after this game, I felt like UVA fans have kind of lost perspective on that. I want to get to them in a second. Sure. And and, and I'm not, you know, it, it look, fan fans going to fan, as Chris always says. And, like, you get caught up in it. And I think as a fan, it's probably easier to lose perspective on it than as an outsider viewing the program. Your emotions are so tied into each game versus just kind of looking at the big picture of the program. Look, every Mike Hollins touchdown this year was a magical moment that needs to be seen for what it is. Every opportunity he even took the field, every time any of these kids whose you know friends were taken from them barely a year ago, Every moment that they stepped on that field and played is, you know, it's it's unbelievably impressive. And Tony Elliott's ability to bring that locker room together and bring in kids like Malik Washington who weren't around, you know, they're new to this. And, you know, Calandria, a freshman, new to this. I just think about that from a coaching perspective, bringing that locker room together of a combination of people who have experienced an unthinkable tragedy plus people who are new to the program, playing with those kids. That's probably a weird dynamic. And it's going to be hard, but the fact that they found a way to be competitive in the majority of their games, right? Tennessee, Virginia Tech. Maryland got away oh yeah, from Maryland them a little got bit. got away at the end. But like all of the other games, you're in. And I understand no moral victories. I totally understand that. Georgia Tech, too. That game was oh, a blow. True, true. But I just think that there, there's a lot to like in terms of on-field momentum. And I know that a rivalry loss at the end of the season is going to leave a bad taste in your mouth and, the, and in the mouth of all Virginia fans. I completely understand that. But I think you can't miss the forest for the trees. And you got to kind of understand that like there's some good stuff here over the course of the season started to settle into a, an offensive identity. I know the defense regressed to the mean a little bit compared to last year, but think back to two years ago. <laughs> Still better than that, right? So I, I think there's something there. Is Tony Elliott a fantastic coach? Probably not, but I think and we've talked about this a lot on air and off. If the alternative is firing him, it doesn't end there. Fans are always like, fire a coach. Like As a Panthers fan, I just went through I am going through this. <laughs> fire the coach, fire the coach, but... Then you got to hire a new one. And is there somebody that is better? And, and again, we've talked about this and we don't have to get super into it, but I think it's important. I think that there's a lot there to build on, but you have to make sure there's some frank conversations in that facility this offseason about how you build on it. And yeah, and, and I think you're going to go here probably, but recruiting has got to step up and you got to find a way. And, and quite honestly, we're seeing this at NC State and Dave Doran, like, literally said this in his post-game press conference after a win, but it should happen after losses too. That means NIL stuff, like fans got to step up. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's the nature of the beast now. Yeah. So, so you, you take more of the optimistic perspective and I would also throw in the obvious that UVA had wins against North Carolina that was ranked and Duke that was ranked for most of the year. So add that to the, the one side of the column. Other side of the column, I think it's fair to say you know, just just to be fair to fans who are displeased, six and sixteen is not great. 
three and nine is nothing to be happy about losing to a rival their stats don't look great when you look at them particularly like the offensive side of the ball in rushing they had one of the worst rushing teams yards per rush was under three yards per rush for this team that's awful that's near the bottom of the fbs they were ranked outside of the top 100 in yards per play and points per play their defense dramatically took a step back this year uh, allowing almost 36 points per game against fbs opponents yards per game outside of the top 100 uh, opponents fourth down conversions outside of the top 100 uh, rushing yards allowed outside of the top 100 and their sack rate they had one of the absolute worst sack rates in the entire country so their defense was you know very bend but don't break so you look at that you look at the amount of turnovers that we had even though somebody in Anthony Calandria showed a lot of promise and Tony Musket showed promise at times when he was healthy we turned the ball over a ton mm-hmm. and that's really bad we didn't take the ball away from almost anybody so I mean I think it is fair to look at that and criticize it and yes all of those things I think you can put on the coach. Then there are other things structurally around UVA that I don't think are Tony Elliott's fault that are worth talking about. You mentioned NIL. UVA's football NIL is not comparable to a lot of the major programs that they're going to have to play against. That's one thing that probably has to change the structure of, you know, I, a lot of people online have been discussing, like, we need to change the academic requirements and, while I think that there is room for growth and collaboration within UVA for that, you cannot blame academic requirements for bad football. You just can't. There are so many schools out there. Notre Dame has pretty good academic requirements. Duke has good academic requirements. Wake Forest has been good for a long time and has that. So like, how many UVA players, how many five stars were on the verge of joining UVA that they just like got held out because of the admissions board. Like that's just not what's happening right now. So you add that, I think the game day environment, I think you could criticize like having gone to several games this year. And I don't just mean like whether fans show up, but like the actual environment of being at the game, the sound system, uh, what they, what they have on, like, yes, it was cool to have lights go on and off a couple of times, but like that's not enough to get people to come to a game. But can I jump in really quickly yeah. just on that specific point? I, and I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, I could barely breathe from laughing when UVA was down 31 nothing on the seven-yard line, fourth and six, to yeah. kick a field goal. Which is Already awful. like, yeah, sure. It goes in. The LED lights flash. Fireworks are going off. (laughs) (laughs) What? Like, that's where operationally this thing is broken. Right. This is a, like, and that's not, that's not on Tony Elliott necessarily. That's just like, again, outsider's perspective. I'm looking at a program that quite simply, I think, just doesn't know who they are, where they're at. I mean, like. Yeah, again, not and and this is not to rub salt in the wound, but like if you're fans and you're overreacting, you're overreacting to this one loss. This is a rival that you've lost to 18 out of the last 19 times. I don't know that you can use this necessarily as the the measuring stick, which is what I saw a lot online, but the the overall stuff you're talking about is definitely in question. 
but I think when when that's the situation, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I'm thinking about these operational things that like it is cool that you've put in the LED stuff and you've like tried to make this feel like a better football atmosphere. But I think that's kind of cart before the horse, and I think there's some foundational things like NIL, probably NIL first and foremost, that need to be taken care of. Look, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that are wrong, and it is worth delving into all of them if we want to be a legitimate football program, which we're not currently. I mean, we're a Power 5 team that is good once every six years, maybe. Like, yeah. we have one eight-win season, and... UVA fans have to determine whether that's acceptable. A lot of UVA fans have tuned out because they just are not going to put in that time and effort. And my personal take on this is that we spend so much money as a university, like our athletics budget is huge and we go for it football wise. So if we're going to do that, we should go for it. We should actually go for it and build in everything that goes along with that or or do what Vanderbilt did and just say like, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to collect our TV money. Like those are the two options. I, I, I would prefer for us to go for it because we have the structure within our university to win at any other level. But, you know, you, you talk about coaching changes, you know, again, what, what I think about this doesn't really matter because Tony Elliott's going to be back next year. But I think it is worth saying that like, our special teams was a disaster this season. Mm-hmm. They're, UVA is the only team in the country that allowed at least four punt or kickoff returns for touchdowns. Cost us the JMU game, probably cost us the Maryland game. Like that's, That right there alone has to be fixed, even if nothing else is fixed, even if you keep the other coordinators and all that other stuff. Like That, that has to be fixed and is yeah. a major thing. So I think there have to be some kind of changes along... The program and we when we talked about Chris at the with Chris at the beginning of the season, he mentioned you have to give people something to latch on to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's something like you can talk yourself into, okay, Calandry is interesting, Cam Robinson's interesting, maybe we get a couple of transfers in, and that's something interesting. But it's it's not as much as you'd want. It's not as it's not as much as if you're a six and six team and uh, there's a lot of excitement, and you beat a rival at the end of the year. So I, I guess I land somewhere in the middle. I've seen so many UVA fans online that I basically have had to tune out, and I know many of them will be listening to this, but I really think you can't take either extreme in this. You cannot take the Tony Elliott can't coach, must be fired, burn everything to the ground approach, and you can't take the, hey, we're just a basketball school, hey, whatever, like... I'm so proud of everything. Like you can't, neither one of those are productive positions. It is not productive as a fan to get where we want to go to take either one of those. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I I think you do have to, there has to be something there. And as fans, I, I especially understand when a season ends like this and you don't see any changes being made or anything being done, it's kind of like, oh, okay. They just like, don't care. Which was the vibe that I could understand getting in that game, even. Like, it kind of looked like they were just unprepared. And it looked like some of their first football games. Like, it was just kind of. Well, Tony Elliott said that they he just didn't like the look in their eye yeah. before the game. I mean, so that, that's he's, concerning. He's, he's responsible for that. He's yeah. responsible well, for getting them ready. It, yeah. I mean, like, the buck stops with him. He's sure. not 100% responsible, but. Like, who else can you hold accountable right. for that? No, I, yeah, if, if you're going to hold a person accountable for what these 
19 to 22 year olds are feeling going into this game and how they you know approach a game then yeah it's it is the head coach and whether that's fair or not is a different conversation but uh, you know Tony Elliott is somebody that I don't think gives me there's not something there that like if I'm a recruit or a potential transfer I look at him and I'm like oh he's building something there and and that's probably the most concerning thing you know I, I think when you when you break it down like you know there are some statistical things that are concerning. There are things in terms of competitiveness that look good. You know, the the person I think of, and I know this was year two, but I think back to, to Sam Pittman in Arkansas. In his first year, they were three and seven. And, you know, some of those losses that they had were not super competitive. Um, but Sam Pittman had a personality and, you know, was a – I remember seeing press conference, like, you know, post-game interviews and things like that with him. And I was like, oh, that's a coach I'd want to go play for. You know, I, I, that's something I think Tony Elliott doesn't necessarily have, at least publicly. He may, you know, in conversations and recruiting conversations and things like that, um, have that. But also then Sam Pittman in his second year in Arkansas went 9-4. and four. And that that's the thing that's missing here. You know, we think back to Broncos tenure at UVA. He had him in a bowl year two. You know, 500 and in a bowl, but still. Uh, you know, and I think that would feel better, right? Yeah, you could, I mean, you could latch on to that and say, sure. regardless of how bad the first year was. So, I mean, I think, I think this is a critical year for Tony Elliott, or even the people who are pro Tony Elliott, I think would have to agree that another three and nine season with the new facilities opening up is a disaster. Like you just can't in this landscape of how things are moving and how much uh, roster rebuilding you are able to do in the transfer portal. But you can't have another three and nine season. It has to be better than yeah. that. Like yeah. I think he has to make a bowl game. Look, I, I I think that he is the the seat is hot. There's no doubt. It, or it's warming up, right? And it's not like he inherited uh, an incredibly talented roster. I think there are. Look, you look at everybody else's reaction. Non UVA fans. Every time they watch UVA play and you see Anthony Calandria play, people around the country are like, "Oh, this kid's exciting." Like, there's a reason that you and I have joked multiple times about, oh, he's going to transfer out. So, like, you that you have somebody at the most important position in football who is exciting. He's probably always going to turn the ball over, right? <laughs> but it's there in college, you can win with quarterbacks like that, that that are big play one way or the other, if you build around them, right? And that's the key part. And 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 so what you're saying is he's going to be Bo Nix by the time he maybe. Gets to his it's seventh year at UVA. <laughs> it's entirely possible. You go back and look at some of these quarterbacks that we praise now. I mean, people talk about Tyler Van Dyke like he's the next Tom Brady, and that dude throws a pick every time he sneezes. So, like, <laughs> I, I can't, you know, to me, like, there is a potential. There's there is potential in this program. You do have to recruit well to build on that. It goes back to the NIL stuff. It's just again, that's how this thing works now, and I, I just. I think if Tony Elliott, though, does not have some positive momentum early in the season next year, he may not make it sure. yeah. through the entire year. I think the most interesting thing, and then we can move on and talk about your let you beam about North Carolina, but I think the most interesting thing from my perspective, Elliott and Kitchens had the, this very specific vision of what they wanted. We're going to run the ball. We're going to set ourselves up for, you know, short down situations. We're going to have more of a pro style attack. And that completely failed. 
It has failed yeah. all season. And I will give Kitchings credit for adjusting to that to some extent. Like we got more passing situations. We got the ball realizing that, you know, Malachi Fields and Washington were two of our best players and our quarterbacks have the ability to throw the ball down the field a little bit, making adjustments for that. But it, and, and you look at our recruit, we just got a four-star in-state wide receiver who was like, yeah, they throw the ball down the field. That's exciting to me. So like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe you pitch that as where you're going. It's just in contrast to everything of what they're stylistically inclined towards. So it'll be interesting to see what adjustments they make, what suggestions they make to recruits, what do they try to pitch the program at, knowing the talent that they have. Because, I, I mean, I don't think you pitch to Calandra, hey, stick around so that you can hand the ball off 35 times in a game, right? Like, that's not – yeah. Anyway, that's that's UVA. It's going to be a long off season, But season's still going on for NC State after yeah, a baby. big win over North Carolina. Dominant Brennan Armstrong redemption arc comes to a happy conclusion. It ain't Go over. Ahead. Go ahead. It what do you want to say? Look, I – Pop Tarts bowl possibility. You're gonna yeah. get eat that edible Pop Tart <laughs> mascot. I'm so I'm excited. so happy for it's, that. It's funny because I'll, I'll touch on that just super quickly. The there's kind of debate in the fan base about uh, where we want to go for a bowl. There's still an outside chance if Florida State were to blow out Louisville, Texas blows out Oklahoma State. There's a chance we jump those teams in the in the college football playoff rankings and maybe sneak into the Orange Bowl. Which is exciting when you think about a team being able to play in the Orange Bowl, but the current projected opponent would be Ohio State. So I don't think we really want that smoke, uh, to be honest with you. And I'd rather get a 10th win that we haven't had uh, since 2002. You know, we're in, we're in some company here. Since State's last 10-win season in 2002, the only other program to not have one is UVA. So we're right, there, right. With, right there with each other. UVA, of course... Still pursuing that tenth win, that tenth win since nineteen eighty nine. Yep, bad. Yeah, not great. But uh, Pop Tarts Bowl, bring it on. I'm all into that. I think it's super great. Let's do it. Just, just to be clear for those of you who did not see this, the Pop Tarts Bowl has an edible mascot. Not like it is a mascot that is edible, like the potato mascot, but it's reportedly edible, like the actual person doing it. Yeah, and. The winning team will get to enjoy the mascot after the game. I love it. I love it. I loved all the stuff that's like, I hope we can put him on the screen screaming like, <laughs> help, please. <laughs> um, no, I mean, so this game, look, I'll try to be quick. I, I, I'm going to lean into the fact that our audience, you know, they don't care about state, but they care about Carolina losing. Yeah, there you go. And that's that's give really, the people what they want. So I mean, look for us personally, we've beaten Carolina three straight years, six of the last eight, twelve of the last seventeen. This is this is little brother behavior coming into coming into Carter Finley. Uh, hell is a place on earth for them, and it is in Carter Finley Stadium. This, but this Carolina team, I mean, we talked about it a little bit since twenty twenty. Carolina has lost twelve times as a favorite. Uh, that's second most in the country. Only Wisconsin has lost more as a favorite uh, 15 times. That so, just means they are the favorite a lot sure. because of how great their program which is. Absolutely leans into my entire perception of them, which is they're going to be ranked 17th in the preseason poll. And then, you know, everybody's going to feel like, oh, this is a really great team. And then they're going to drop the ball. Coincidentally, most wins as an underdog since 2020 state is second in the country with 11. Mm-hmm. Georgia Tech 
has more. They're yeah. first in the country. I mean, this was a, a a dominant performance for sure, but you know, it is. Look, it's it's always fun, but I think you have to look at this if you're a Carolina fan, which hopefully none of our audience is. Have you listened to the show? <laughs> right. Uh, but I mean, with five years with future NFL starters at quarterback, so Sam Howell and Drake May, thirty-eight and twenty-six overall, twenty-four and eighteen in the ACC. That's not exactly taking advantage of the opportunity. Of course, you know Sam Howell and Drake May both ended their career the same way by throwing a pick against NC State to seal a loss, which is just a great thing. Drake May already playing like a Chicago Bears quarterback. So that's going to be great to see. Um, Just absolutely crushed by Peyton Wilson and the defense. Look, if Peyton Wilson doesn't win multiple defensive awards, people are insane. His game on Saturday night, 15 tackles, two TFLs, a sack, two forced fumbles, and an interception. Pretty good. It's pretty wild. good. And then you go through it's crazy because I and I know he's had some injury history and stuff like that, but I go and I look through like NFL draft stuff and you look at all these linebacker ratings and he's nowhere near the top. Somebody's gonna get a steal with him if he stays healthy. He's an athletic freak, unbelievable player. Um, but let's focus more on Carolina's failures. When you look at you know, four of their all time great quarterbacks, TJ Yates, Sam Howell, Mitch Trubisky. Drake May combined. It's always funny to have Mitch Trubisky because he definitely was really good at Carolina, but it also just like the way his pro career. I know. It's like, uh, really? Uh, Yeah. Combined two and nine against State. Those four quarterbacks, uh, you know, Mm. so not great. The other thing, a little perplexing on Mac Brown. And and look, his future is going to be a big topic of conversation over the next couple of weeks, I think. Like he clearly at the end of that game was like i'll be back and yeah no well so we talked about that last week yeah. when he was like oh i'm not going anywhere i'm be back and we were like oh that means he might be retiring right. i i think he he's was reacting pressure. he to the hot seat he's he was like i'm pressure. i might lose this week and then people are gonna want and he's just like no i don't feel the heat yeah i mean he's got to have some my big, seat is comfortable he's and it, it is not and he's got to have some big wins in the transfer portal early and I just I just don't see it right. The quarterback he's bringing in from um, Max Johnson yeah, from yeah, yeah. Texas A and M. That's that's not it. Like Pro- projected. Sure, 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 sure. But here's the baffling thing about Mac Brown for this this past week going into the state game. He said because he was concerned about injuries all week. Carolina practiced without pads. Did not have a single padded practice in preparation for a rivalry game. Can you imagine? No. And 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 like, but listen, if listen. You watch give, that game; they got physically bullied. If considering everything of like pros and cons, I said about Tony Elliott. If it came out that Tony Elliott practiced in the lead up to the Tech game with no pads and then lost the way that they did, I would be at the head of the he needs to go line. Yeah. Period. You yeah. can't. That can't happen. It's crazy. And in a game where again physically it just looked like different leagues. I mean, defensively, look, Tony Gibson, again, it's a crime that he's not on the Broyles Award list as best you know, assistant coach because this defense is insane. And look no further than this game to see it. Tez Walker and Amarion Hampton, two of, I would say going into this game, two of the best playmakers in the ACC. 
This is, you know, a running back, when you look at Hampton, his last four games coming into this, 153 yards, 144 yards, 169 yards, 178 yards. Across those four games, he scored seven touchdowns. His day on Saturday, nine carries, 28 yards. With a 19-yard run. You take that 19-yard <laughs> run out, we're going eight for nine. <laughs> Drake May had a long 56-yard touchdown run. If you take out that that run, that long play, this Carolina team averaged 3.7 yards a carry for the night. Tez Walker shut down by Aiden White. Two catches for 29 yards. Great performance by the defense. Shout out to them. My last shout out, and then we can move on. You mentioned Brennan Armstrong. Look, I know UVA fans have mixed feelings about him. He obviously had a tough year in terms of, you know, he wasn't quite what I think a lot of fans wanted him to be early on. Probably wasn't even what Robert and I and Dave Doran wanted him to be early on. You know, that this offense struggled. He got benched. Dave Doran said the other day, the day after he was benched, the team came in. He gave a speech to the team, urging them to rally behind MJ Morris. Dave Doran said that day he lost his job and he won over this team. He handled it, as Aiden White said, he handled it like a grown-ass man. Since coming back and regaining the job, 70% completion percentage, 286 yards a game, nine touchdowns, 3-0 record. That doesn't even include their rushing stats. I just, look, this is, to me, this is a big part of what college football is all about. You know, I know we as coaches think about this all the time. Like, you're trying to win games. You're trying to scheme and make people better players. But it's also about the human part of it. And, like, this is a kid who showed a ridiculous amount of resilience. And, you know, it's as a fan, you can't help but feel, like, proud of him. Like, it's, it's, a, it's just amazing. He got his first win against Tech, like, going in to do that. In, in Lane Stadium, which I think he did. He was probably on the team, I guess, when they beat them, but he mm-hmm. wasn't starting when they no, beat him. No. So, like, going in to Lane Stadium and beating Tech, I'm sure that felt extra good to him. He didn't practice all week. He did. So, he was hurt from that game. Possibly, like, there's some rumors that he made. So, have, he wasn't in pads either. That's, well, he didn't, well, he didn't mm-hmm. throw a single pass all week because he was in so much pain. They, there's, a tough fella. there's rumors that he may have a broken rib and he came out. And against Carolina on Saturday, threw for 334 and three touchdowns. Unreal. And then, obviously, Casey Concepcion, I've talked about him all year. He just announced he's coming back. Buckle in. 12-team playoff next year. Pencil us in now. Okay. We'll see who's playing quarterback. But <laughs> as of right now, like it's gonna to, to me, I think we're going to – my prediction is we go out and get Will Rogers in the transfer portal. Mm. He He'll, does have a very NC State vibe oh, to yeah. him. He'll quote unquote compete with MJ Morris. I love MJ. He wasn't that great when he played this year, so I was wrong about that one. Give me no Will Heisman. No Heisman. <laughs> no. Now it's Casey Concepcion who's going to win the Heisman. Okay. I mean that that actually he he's going to put up crazy numbers. I think if he stays healthy and everything. But yeah, give me Will Rogers in the transfer portal. We're working on some other stuff. There's some there's some stuff flying around in the transfer portal right now that if it if it all comes true. This team's going to be crazy next year. And I'm not even trying to be the typical state, like, wait till next year fan. Like, it genuinely. Yeah, you don't have to try. That's just who, that's just who you are. You just are that. Sure. But I can, usually, I can usually acknowledge when I'm just being a homer. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about, like, Noah Rogers, wide receiver, Ohio State, potentially transferring in. He was a four star. We've got two four star receivers already committed. 
That's pretty good for a coach you wanted fired a month ago. Yeah, so I was wrong. Pretty, pretty good. I was wrong. Pretty good. He's turned it around, and and he's leaning in. Like like I said, post game, urging fans to contribute to nil funds, and by all accounts, they did. One of the major nil collectives for NC State tweeted out the other day that they were going to get updated numbers out to people to show how much they've raised, but they literally can't keep up with it. Mm. So UVA, that's what you need to do. Honestly, pass it around. Just, pass the collection. Just, just plate make it around. happen because it's unbelievable. I do want to talk briefly. You mentioned the transfer portal, and it is already in full swing, and coaches are flying around as well. This is just a fascinating time of year, and there are a lot of big names. I think uh, I'd seen reports from some college people that I trust that just kind of hinted that this year was going to be even more insane and like break people's minds in terms of big names that are entering the portal. We've already seen that to some extent. Tyler Van Dyke, Miami quarterback, KJ Jefferson announced today from Arkansas that he's entering the portal. Cameron Ward, the talented quarterback at Washington State, is entering the transfer portal. So and you mentioned Will Rogers and uh, Max Johnson also there. <laughs> gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun. Gonna be a fun series of relocations. It sounds like it's free agency. I mean, this I I love it in pro sports. Like player movement is fun, and we've talked about this a lot. So I don't want to beat that dead horse. But like, it's exciting, and I know it can bite your team in the butt, but it can also be fun for your team. And yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I mean, you think about it, like, and I know we're going to talk a little bit of Heisman stuff here in a little bit, but like this Heisman race now, probably probably, probably down to two guys. But if you include Michael Penix Jr. as well, like they're all transfers. Mm -hmm. So I get it. I get why guys are looking for other opportunities, better opportunities, better fits, different exposure. Like it, it makes total sense to me. And it, I mean, I was talking with my, uh, you know, I sent my dad, I was telling him, I was like, oh, KC's coming back next year. And the way we knew was because the NIL collective put out that he had signed back with them for the next year. Mm -hmm. So it's literally like signing a contract extension. Yeah. But now you know. But here's, so I'll take the other side of this. And again, we don't have to relitigate all of the NIL stuff, but I will, I said this to you following the tech loss. There is something as a fan, like I'm totally in favor of players being able to move. I think it's great. They should have opportunities. They should be able to make money. I know not everybody agrees with that, but that's my perspective. It sucks as a fan when your team loses or even if they win mm -hmm. and you immediately like the season isn't even over yet for a lot of teams and they're immediately going to, well, we're going to lose this guy, this guy, this guy, and this yeah. guy. And like I, that's uh, I mean like I'm thinking out as UVA fan you end the season and you're like man how are we going to keep these players that gave us hope like yeah. it would be it would not have been shocking at all for Calandria or Cam Robinson to transfer it seems still currently I mean, it wouldn't be yeah. but currently like positive indications with them trying to recruit people online mm -hmm. but like that's just a an anxiety there that sucks as a fan, and so I get why some fans are turned off by that part of it. Like it, it really is the totally. like old Seinfeld rooting for laundry thing. You know, you're rooting for a school and who shows up rather than actual people, and you lose that connection. Like, mm -hmm. but all, all that being said, like it is going to be wild to see this many people go around. And you're right, like so many people have gone to places, Bo Nix. Michael Penix, Jaden Daniels, all having great seasons with different teams. But 
also it's not always greener like Mac Johnson went from LSU to Texas A&M to be the starter got beaten out by a freshman and now is back on the road again looking for another home so yeah it's it's wild there are definite downsides and I totally get it I mean state had two running backs trans announced that they were transferring out mid-season uh well I mean they said they were red shirting and you knew what was happening flip side of that it seems mj morris isn't going anywhere which is weird that whole scenario is strange and we'll break it down i'm sure later when we know what's actually happening but yeah i mean even state like crushing carolina in a rivalry game after that you're like uh, throughout the season even there's guys that i'm like oh like porter rooks he's a receiver for us that was a four-star coming out of high school out of charlotte a few years ago he's got one year left and all, all season i'm like mm, porter's not playing a lot he's probably gonna transfer and, and that's what you find yourself doing is like, oh, this guy's not getting the snaps that, you know, I would have thought he would have gotten when we signed him, you know, whether that was a couple of years ago or some of these guys just one year. I mean, we had a four star linebacker that signed red shirted, played a little bit this year, not a whole lot. But our linebackers are really good, have been really good for the last couple of years. It's hard to get on the field at that position. But all season I was watching and I was like, where is he? Mm, he's going to go? Sure enough, there it is. Right. So I get it. And, and when it's a loss and you're like, okay, now it feels like you're going to hemorrhage more. Winning builds momentum and you can hopefully keep them. But I, I totally understand that. It is it is hard. And that's that's part of it. It's pro sports too, right? Like, you know, there's guys that you love to watch that they don't owe their lives to your team. They're not going to be there forever. And college, I think it. I feel a little bit more prepared for that because – you already don't have them for very long, you know? So, like, there's already something in my brain that's like, oh, I only get to enjoy this guy for a couple of years. Oh, a little bit shorter than that? Okay. What hurts is when they go on somewhere else and play well, and you're like, damn, that could have been that could have been for us. The, I end up at this point of the year kind of, like, monitoring the NIL transfer portal stuff, mm -hmm. but not, like, fully getting engrossed in it because – Right now, it's just starting, and it's going to, yeah. like, once bowl games in January come around, that's when it'll explode. And it's hard. People are flying all over the place. Yeah. So I end up focusing more on the coaching moves because I, those are ones that I just, like, get really, mm -hmm. like, what, ooh, that's intriguing. And maybe it's just, like, my NCAA 14 brain where I'm like, ooh, oh, maybe yeah. this job opens up. Like, the Texas A&M thing, almost hiring Mark Stoops from Kentucky, and then at the last minute, moving away from that and then bringing in Mike Elko from Duke. That was an interesting move. No move though. More interesting than Bobby Petrino heading back to Arkansas as an offensive coordinator that I just can't get your neck braces out. This is a great, I think this is a great public service to everyone, kids included to just say that no matter what life brings at you, no matter what mistake you make, like you might think you make a mistake in life and it's just unforgivable and it's just the end of the road for you. But no, it's not. Everything can be forgiven. That's right. You just got to get back on that motorcycle. Get back on the motorcycle. It doesn't matter if you go to the Atlanta Falcons and just like give half effort and then just walk right. out the door without telling anyone. That's right. You can get a job back at your own. Who says you can't go home? You can still drive co-eds around on your motorcycle. Seriously. It, it is unbelievable. A guy who last had significant football success. Like, it's been a long time. He's not even, like, currently an innovative mind or... Missouri State. He was great at Missouri sure. State. Sure. Okay. He did a great job calling plays for Jimbo. Jimbo got uh Yeah, how'd that work out? How'd that work out? 
like th- this is what i'm saying is like retreads are so common and in, in all of sports when it comes to coaching right people go back and uh, you know i think even like nba i'm a charlotte hornets fan we fired james borrego went back and hired steve clifford who had been our head coach before that so like we got rid of him and then ended up bringing him back literally go to the nfl the dom capers was on the panthers staff this year like they love this so i'm sure arkansas fans are all kinds of fired up about it because it's well they're not that fired up about <laughs> sam Pittman coming back so so true but but i think now they're like oh but petrino's here like i don't know it's it's a weird it's a weird scenario but i do love it i love the texas a&m i first of all i love that hire i think mike elko's great for them yeah it's a shockingly competent hire for them <laughs> I didn't love the way he handled things at Duke. That was no. a little, I don't know. That was a little sketchy. But as a as a state fan who now is locked into playing Duke every year, at least for the next three years probably, but definitely, you know, as the scheduling model continues, uh, I love that he's gone because whoever Duke he's hires. He's a good coach. Yeah, whoever Duke hires isn't going to be as good as him. So, yeah, this stuff is fun. I, I, I love watching different people. And what are the unexpected moves, you know, like – what happens if Saban just retires? Mm. Like, say they sneak into the playoff, win a championship, and he's like, yeah, I'm done. Now, all of a sudden, the best job in the country is there. Dabo. What happens? Maybe. I think the one thing about coaching hires, we, we don't can't predict the future. There's some hires that you just look at and you're like, that's probably going to work. And then there are other ones that you're like, hmm. That's just not going to work 100%. And yeah. you just know that ahead of time. So like Jonathan Smith going to Michigan State from Oregon State. Mm-hmm. I look at that and I'm like, makes sure. a lot of sense. He built a program out of almost nothing. Also, that was fast. Yeah, that <laughs> was that a fast move. That game had move. barely ended and he, he was, was like, yep. <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah, I mean, it would have been reported before the game. So yeah. like that that one makes sense to me. You could talk me into like Mike Elko at Texas A&M. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. And then there are other ones that you're just like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I mean, the best is yet to come, right? I mean, you and I exchanged some messages about Syracuse's hiring of Fran Brown. Yeah, that one seems kind of weird. I mean, I get the local connection, but that's a weird upgrade. I kind of like dug more into it because he's not a name that I immediately knew. But yeah, last year he was rated, I forget the outlet right now, media outlet off the top of my head, but he was rated as the best recruiter in the country. No. So there you go. (laughs) Good for Syracuse. And and honestly, super smart for them. If you're a program like Syracuse, and I think Virginia probably similar, and you're looking for a head coach, you got to try to take a swing and and find somebody like that who may be super talented when it comes to recruiting and bring something to the table, but is not a big name yet and get them before they're a big name. Because like... If this guy became the D coordinator for Georgia, you know, then soon he's going to be out of your range. I really like the hiring. Uh, San Diego State hired uh, Sean Lewis, the Colorado offensive coordinator, who weirdly got demoted from play calling midseason. But that I don't think you can take anything seriously that's happening there. Um, I think that's a great hire for them. So um, I like Oregon State went in house. Like that's. To me, for a program like Oregon State, that's smart. Promote your defensive coordinator. Don't – I don't know. Sometimes that, that continuity with what you've built there makes total sense. Yeah, that'll be fascinating to see. And, uh, hey, maybe Ohio State will fire Ryan Day. <laughs> you know, there's some of their like fans need, are, like, ready to run him out. We need some domino like that. I'm, I'm just waiting for the crazy. 
right? Well, I think Harbaugh leaving Michigan is sure. very possible at the end of this year, regardless of what happens. I think that is very possible. Carolina Panthers head coach Jim Harbaugh. They, I'm not saying I the, even want it, but I think it's possible. I think maybe the Bears, but yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, I the, yeah. I mean, like it's whatever that domino is that's going to fall, right? Is it is it Harbaugh stepping down? Is it Ryan Day getting fired? Is it you know, I, I don't know. I'm just waiting for whatever that like out of left field thing is. I loved the headline that a potential candidate for the Indiana job is John Gruden. Yeah. Like that's what I want. <laughs> give me give me something. You know when I mentioned a minute ago about things that just absolutely will not work yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And you just know that in the it's bones of it's your body. One. Yeah. That one. Uh yeah. Remember those emails? He's gonna go yeah. coach college kids. Sure. Uh but give me a sure. Give me a reason to pay attention to Indiana football. I like. I'll hate watch them. <laughs> I, like absolutely. I found this one uh, stat I forgot to mention earlier that I thought was cool. We're talking about moving around, players moving, changing positions. So of the 2020 quarterback class, of the top 50 recruits, there's here's the list of people who have not transferred at any point or changed positions. Mm. Bryce Young. Yeah. CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Carson Beck, Garrett Green, Tate Rodemacher, Brady Cook. Wow. That's it. Of the top 50 quarterbacks that were wow. recruited in 2020. That's wild. A lot of movement. I mean, recruiting is a it's a, it's a huge gamble. And that's that's where I kind of you know, well, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about recruiting over the next few months as things pop up, but sometimes people get super caught up in these stars and ratings and stuff like that and hey nobody knows again like i was i was singing the praises of casey concepcion earlier he was a three-star you just never know and you got tate rodemacher stayed at his school and has led his team to a 12 and 0 record yeah all by all himself. by himself so we talked about uh quarterback transfers as you mentioned the three leading candidates for the heisman trophy are all transfer quarterbacks we've got bo Nix at oregon we've got Jaden daniels at LSU, and we've got Michael Penix at Washington. All three have had great seasons. So let's trash talk two of them <laughs> and say who we think will win. Sure. I have a very strong preference on this. So I have a go preference first. of who I want to win. I don't think it's who will win. Okay. So I wanted Michael Penix to win. I think he's out of it, honestly, at this point. Yeah. I don't think this is even a three-man race. I mean, respect to him for what he did all year, but he's kind of – fallen off a little bit statistically he's just not putting up the video game numbers that his competition is he also has negative 14 rushing yards which sure granted he's not a running quarterback yeah, yeah. but just saying like when you put together stats that ends up hurting you sure absolutely so you know it's tough so you have bonex and Jaden daniels uh, obviously bonex has the benefit of playing for a team that has won more games they're in the playoff conversation they have a conference championship game so that helps. You got an extra game to play with here. Stephen A. Smith argument right here. But yeah, go ahead. I'm just saying he. That's a huge benefit for him. Sure. Um, and look, the numbers are what they are. He's he's thrown for almost four thousand yards, uh, thirty seven touchdowns, just two interceptions. He's currently on pace to break the FBS completion percentage record. That's that's super great. Okay. Good job. Good job to your receivers for catching the ball. Yeah, we dig in a little bit more. Okay, over sixty five percent of his passing yards are after the catch his average depth of target last i checked bottom 10 in the country mm -hmm. okay so on average he's throwing the ball five yards down the field 
compare that to the bombs that Michael Penix is throwing every every week. And I know he's not put up the same numbers. Um, well, passing yards, he's only at like 90 yards behind him. Yeah. Like in but total, I, total passing yards. I mean, but, recently. Yeah. So that and that and there is recency bias in Heisman voting. Problem is Michael Penix gave us his best a little too early in the season, probably. Now, on the other side of things, you have my guy that I want to win. And I don't think he will. But hard to say. Jaden Daniels, top-rated passer in the country, had a season that we haven't seen in a long time, if ever, honestly. 3,800 passing yards, 1,100 rushing yards, 50 total touchdowns to four interceptions. He's had some pretty amazing performances, rallied his team a few times, most recently against Texas A&M. The issue is he plays on a team that has a pretty bad defense. They've lost three games. And we talked, I think, a couple weeks ago. We haven't had a Heisman winner that lost three games since Bo Jackson. All that being said, to me, he's clearly more impressive. He's thrown for almost as many yards. He's run for 1,100. Like, the stats are crazy. If you just watch these games, Jaden Daniels is clearly the best player in the country. Now, my prediction, if Bo Nix and Oregon beat Washington, Bo Nix is winning the Heisman. That's probably right. So Jaden Daniels is, needs to be a big old Michael Penix Jr. fan on Saturday or Friday. Friday. Need to be pulling for Washington because that's the only chance. If Washington beats Oregon and manages to get after Bo Nix, have him have a decently subpar game, something like that. But I think Bo Nix probably wins the Heisman, but it's going to be unfortunate that Jaden Daniels, I think, is the deserving winner. Yeah, I totally agree. Jaden Daniels, both financially, I picked him at the beginning of the year. But uh, if you just look at the stats, here are the stats that just, if you want to just compare Jaden Daniels to Bo Nix, here are the stats that Bo Nix is higher. Total passing yards, only by like 90. Mm -hmm. Completion percentage, as you mentioned, it's like 78.6% to 72.2%. And adjusted completion percentage, which is 85% to 79%. Both great numbers, but those are the three categories that Bo Nix is higher. Here are the categories that uh, Jaden Daniels is higher in. Rushing yards, total yards, passing touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, total touchdowns, yards per attempt, yards per attempt in rushing, plays, yards per play, passer rating, QBR, plays of 20-plus yards, points responsible for, NFL passer rating of throws over 20 yards, TDs on throws over 20 yards, completion percentage on throws over 20 yards, uh, average distance of target, big-time throws, big-time throw percentage, rushing yards after contact, miss missed tackles, forced scramble yards, passing first downs, rushing first downs, total first downs, TD to first down percentage, and strength of schedule. LSU's strength of schedule is 7th. Oregon's is 62nd in the country. This is easy. Like, I don't usually care about the Heisman. Usually at the end of the year, it's like, oh, it's a popularity contest, and it's like the Oscars. It's like... Whatever, I don't really care. This guy that won a lot of games gets to win it. That's fine. This I actually feel very strongly about. Like mm -hmm. This is clear. Jaden Daniels has had one of the best seasons of any quarterback in history. He absolutely deserves to win. It's not his fault that the defense lost in three games, period. The last time that I, going into the Heisman, like the stretch run of sort of the Heisman race, if we want to call it that, the last time that I felt strongly about something where I know I'm anticipating an injustice, 2009, and Sue, I was like, this guy has been the most dominant player. Like, he was unreal. I know that he's... He kicked the competition <laughs> around. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. 
But you also knew going in, like, there's no way he's going to win it. He's a defensive tackle. But if this is genuinely for the most dominant, the best player, the most valuable, whatever, to me, he belonged in that. And, you know, I think he came in third or, or something like that. But th- I feel that way coming into this. Like, I'm watching this, and I, and I think we're going to look at, you know, because of the losses, we're going to penalize Jaden Daniels. There's just such a, like, Stephen A, yeah. mad dog root. Like, if you hear yourself saying that, like, sure. oh, but their team lost. Their, like, just know that's who you're aligning yourself Absolutely. with. Absolutely. It's it's stupid. And and I'm not saying that, like, to clarify, it's not because Bo Nix is in the conference championship that I think he should win or anything like that. It's just he's going to have an extra game to impress voters or not. He could blow it, too. Um, and so it, it's going to be interesting to, to watch, like, where this goes I, I don't know it's unbelievable to me they they have both had incredible performances it's not knocking Bo Nix I think he's played well within the system that they play in and it matters that he's able to distribute the ball to the playmakers and he's a really good player that being said like Jaden Dan- it's not a team award so to me, on both sides of that, you can't punish Jaden Daniels for his team. You can't reward Bonex too much for what his team has done for him. So this has got to be Jaden Daniels Heisman. I hope it is. I mean, it, it could be. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel I got this pit in my stomach about it that like we're going to see Bonex get it and it's going to be unfortunate. Just a quick shout out to say that Malik Washington should have been a finalist for the Bolitnikoff, in my sure. opinion. I get the uh, the talent level of the other three people that were chosen great but Malik Washington 110 catches 1400 yards 10 100 yard games pretty good pretty good for a guy that no one thought was going to be necessarily a major contributor in the ACC so yeah that's a that's a tough I I think he's deserving and it's always tough because their volume stats on a bad team so it's like it's like J.R. Smith scoring numbers like you're just kind of how dare you <laughs> like of course he how he, dare you <laughs> like it's still it's still hard and like valuable to be able to do that but who the hell else was going to get the ball <laughs> you know like that that's kind of where that comes from i think but i still think he should be there should we do a quick preview of the games this weekend i'll do it championship weekend the biggest games out there start on friday in the major conferences oregon number five in the country travels to Las Vegas, where they are playing Washington, the number three team in the country, with a possible de facto berth in the college football playoff on the line, unless Florida State wins and then Ohio State gets put in or Texas or whatever. I don't who knows how that's going to go. But <laughs> if Washington wins, they're in the college football playoff. But yeah. unfortunately for them, they are nine and a half point underdogs, despite having beaten Oregon earlier in the year. I. I don't get it. Stinky. I, I, it stinks, which makes me think Oregon, but I don't know that I can really pull the trigger on that many points because I kind of think this is going to be an awesome game. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. As you mentioned, de facto quarterfinal, at least for Washington, probably for Oregon too, I would think. I've been riding with the Huskies all year, and I think it would be disingenuous to stop now. I, that's sunk cost fallacy fallacy sure but you've been winning with them so yeah what's the opposite of that <laughs> get our philosophers right into right the show in. at preferred walkouts at yahoo.com riding a 12-week heater <laughs> uh look 
I'm going to take the points for sure. You're going to give me that many points with Michael Penix Jr., I'm taking them. So I'd be tempted to bet them straight up. I mean, I think they will win. If I'm talking betting, if you're giving me almost 10 points, I will take those 10 points gladly. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, if they had to, like, go to Autzen Stadium or something, then I'd understand. You're in a neutral site in Vegas. I think people generally, so you're bound to attract a crowd that's, you know, you're going to have fans from both schools, but you're also probably going to have just some fans of college football. Some people who have just wandered out of the <laughs> casino and don't know where they are. And I think Washington probably is more likable, and I just think you, they might have a little bit of a home field advantage here. You know, Honestly, Puddles enough. the Duck is probably one of those that's people. Fair. Just like yeah. huh. bleary-eyed, doesn't yeah. know where he is, swinging in from the... Just, just lost his savings on blackjack <laughs> yeah give me the huskies to cover absolutely i mean if you want to tease this even like that feels like a lock see i would tease either way because i do think oregon's gonna win the game but i think it will be close i do think it does stink a little bit and that makes me think that oregon just blows them out but washington's been kind of teetering they've had several close calls the last few weeks had sure. to do one of the gutsiest fourth call decisions I've ever seen in my life from their own like 35. Like it was almost a panicked fourth down play, but well executed by Penix to beat Washington State last week. So yeah, I I will reluctantly also take the Huskies with the points, but I think Oregon wins the game. Yeah, I think they bounce back here. I think we've been waiting all year for Bo Nix to have that Bo Nix You've game. been waiting. Bo Nix is great. Maybe hey, sure. is, he only throws the ball five yards down the field. Gonna, How many mistakes can you're he gonna make? act like I'm the only person in the country who's been watching him all year, waiting yeah. like oh, just waiting for that other shoe to drop. No, that, I think that he's good. Three pick game. He's good. I can't, I can't wait to see him in a Panthers uniform next year Here when they redraft. In the <laughs> they don't have, have to be a, have a first. It have to be in the like, second <laughs> round, so he'd be the bright pick because oh, he's not God. going in the first round. So. Saturday at noon on ABC, Texas plays Oklahoma State. I actually won a big bet uh, at the beginning of the year. One of my Sabermetrics picks was that Oklahoma State would make this game nice. at plus 1,600. And they really tried to pull that away sure from did. me by almost losing to BYU sure did. in the last week of the year. But they managed to power through, and now their reward is that they get to play Quinn Yours in Texas that just came off of a beatdown of texas tech this is a 15 point line which is one of the bigger lines that you'll see and i love texas in this matchup i think oklahoma state has played about as well as they can with the roster they have but texas is way better and texas is going to be highly motivated to win this game by a lot to prove to the college football committee that they deserve a spot if chaos happens and I think they come out ready to play and win this game by three touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, look, all Texas really needs is one team to lose, and they're right there. And, and to me, this is a Texas team. that They started their work last week. You watch it, and te that Texas Tech game was an opportunity they could have slipped up. And they came out there, and they said, nope, we are not slipping up. We are going to beat this team into the ground. And, look, Oklahoma State's a tough challenge. With Ollie Gordon the second, they're going to play ball control. They're going to run the ball really well. It's going to be tough for Texas to, to build out a lead. But this is a Texas team that knows that they are right there. They are – I mean, like, the scenario for them, I think, is relatively simple. If Georgia, Michigan, Washington all win and Florida State loses, Texas is in. 
that seems super clear to me. That would be fun. I'm, I, I'm into it. I'm so into it. I've been into it since the preseason. And I think it's going to happen. Mm. I think, like, look, I, I, we'd have to go back to that episode. But I think a Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Texas playoff is pretty damn close to what that's I thought would close. happen. I don't remember if that's exactly what I said. We've had a lot of almost upsets this year, but yeah. not a lot of actual big upsets. Yeah. Like that, that's kind of the, been the trajectory of the year. It feels like a really fun, chaotic year, but then at the top, there's just been a lot of like teams plodding along, right. getting get to their spot. Speaking of Alabama and Georgia, they meet in the SEC championship at four o'clock on CBS. Georgia number one in the country, Alabama number eight. Georgia is favored by six points, and they get to play at the friendly confines of Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. I have been resisting the urge all week to pick Alabama here Mm. because recency bias of Alabama just barely miracle escaping Auburn, I feel like, is in people's minds but when you actually look at the like projections between these two teams, a lot of a lot of it seems pretty close actually yeah. between them. And I think people are just like, well, Alabama just got off of this near scare. Georgia's been so dominant; they're looking for their thirtieth straight win. It's got to be Georgia by six points. But I, and so I've been resisting the urge. I kind of, I kind of like Alabama with the points. I know I might regret that. Georgia will just come in and smash them up because that's what they do. But yeah. It. I'm taking Alabama plus six. Wow. Close game. Wow. Epic game. Maybe it'll be another fourth and 31 situation. They We know we know Alabama can handle that. So give me the tide. I miss the days where you could be confident this game would be like nine to six. There's been like 30 points or more yeah. for winning teams in almost every SEC championship in the last like 15 years. Going into the Iron Bowl last week, I would have said, you know, hey, both these teams are rolling. Like, Georgia has clearly found that rhythm that they needed. They're firing on all cylinders. Alabama had found something offensively. Jalen Milrow, if there was a Heisman for just like, you know, the last four or five games, <laughs> I think he'd definitely be a contender for that. Squeaked by Auburn there. But we talked about it. Like the Iron Bowl, weird weird stuff happens. And you just can't, I don't know. It's hard for me to like penalize them for playing in a close game against a rival. Like that just kind of happens. Georgia was in a closer game yeah. than expected against Georgia Tech. So I, I just, I don't know. Georgia looks unbeatable. Even in that close game against Georgia Tech, I was still like, eh, they're still going to win this game. Mm-hmm. Versus Alabama, I was like, oh, you're about to lose. And then you had an OPI that didn't get called. And oh, okay. I mean, he very clearly pushed off. Mm. I get not a lot of arm jostling going on on both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But usually, when the receiver fully extends their arm to create separation, Mm -hmm. a flag is thrown. Michael Michael Irvin had a pretty good career doing that. (laughs) Okay, well, he also did a lot of cocaine. So, (laughs) (laughs) objection relevance. I don't know, but (laughs) all right. Uh, I think that Georgia wins this game. I think they cover the six points easily. Okay. Uh, Fox, the game I am most interested in, of course, Michigan and Iowa playing the Big Ten Championship, Michigan fresh off of another win over Ohio State, even without Jim Harbaugh. Why are they paying Jim Harbaugh $10 million a year? They don't need him. Yeah. They don't need him. Pay some, pay pay me to go in there. It seems like they could just do whatever they need to do, win on their own. Now they get to play Iowa, where the line is 23.5. The over-under is 35.5, which is an insanely low number. And Iowa has a prop that 
you can get in a lot of places of will they score in the first half? The line is like 0. 0.5. Yeah. And it's even money. Even <laughs> money on whether they're going to score. And I have that same question. How will Iowa score in this game? I don't see how they will. But Accidentally. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe it'll be a snap out of the end zone. Maybe it'll be a punt return. Maybe it'll be Michigan, you know, does a reverse triple lateral and fumble. Like, I don't know how it is, but I don't see how it's going to happen. And I'm just going to take Michigan. I think this is one of those blowouts like two years ago when Michigan shows up and that line was like 12 and then they won by like 40. And I think that's like as good as Iowa's defense is, Michigan's just way better. Yeah, I mean, I want the chaos. I want it'd be kind of funny to me if Iowa won. That being said, I just don't. I don't see it. I, I I have no, I have no faith in them. And there's there's a discrepancy here of like the line is twenty two and a half, the point total is thirty five and a half, which implies that like Iowa could score double digit points. Yeah, no, because they, no, they can't because they're not saying Michigan. Like you know, if Vegas knows something, mm. right? The Michigan's gonna score. You would think if the over under is thirty five and a half, I'm thinking Michigan's gonna score over 35 points but the line's only 22 and a half which means iowa is gonna score two touchdowns cover <laughs> they have they, they no, said this on the they that. said this on the broadcast against nebraska they now average fewer than 250 yards of offense per game the team with the most wins in history yeah. averaging that amount or fewer was four 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 wins. Yeah. They have 10. Yeah. They have 10. They have scored 15 or fewer in six straight games. So when we're talking about how long it's been since our respective programs have won 10 games and Iowa's disrespectfully winning 10. Yeah, no, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah, Michigan's going to cover. This is going to get ugly. Yeah, totally agree. And then perhaps the best, uh, most interesting game with definite college football playoff repercussions we have got Florida State and Louisville playing in the ACC championship at 8 o'clock in Charlotte, North Carolina. Tate Rodemacher didn't look particularly great against Florida, but he got the job done. Florida State managed to avoid that late slip-up. This is a two-and-a-half-point line, which is pretty close. People disrespecting the Knowles. And also kind of surprising that it's two and a half, given that Louisville just lost to Kentucky. It's not like they're coming in with all the momentum in the world. This one, I don't know. I'm just not going to overthink this. Just give me the Knowles. They are the better team, even with a backup quarterback. I've been saying it all year. Louisville is not that good. And then they have performances like that where they just lose to some random team like Kentucky. They're not good enough to beat Florida State. I know you're rooting for it for the chaos in Texas to get in, but no, Florida State. Put them in. Louisville, let's talk. All year, I've been talking about how bad you are. All year, you've been teetering on the brink of losing a game that you shouldn't lose. You got it out of your system. You lost to Kentucky. I get it. Better teams than you have lost to Devin Leary. So, no no shame in that game. Okay? It happened. Now that's out of your system, you can do what pretty much the entire country wants you to do and beat Florida State. I've been on the Florida State train since the preseason, but to be clear, I was on the Jordan Travis Florida State train. Mm. Now it just feels different. You don't like this new conductor. No, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care for him. His name's Tate. That's a stupid name. 
I, I don't think he deserves this. Why didn't he just transfer like a normal quarterback? That's right. <laughs> like I, all the other ones. To be clear, I have no actual problem with him. But I, I do think I'm getting out in front of this because people are going to say, like, shut, you were, you know, you were sitting here on this show talking about how much you believed in Florida State. I sat on here and I, I told Taylor Tannenbaum that I thought Florida State was the, the team. But that was with Jordan Travis. If Jordan Travis were playing this game, I'd say, give me give me the Knowles by 20. But this team is a broken team. At Louisville, it's got to be pissed off. They see the opportunity to play spoiler. I love the cards here. I think this is a really close game. In my heart, I want Louisville to win. I think they must win. But I think Florida State wins by a field goal. I think they barely cover. I do think the I think, one... And I think it is a like game-winning field goal at the end of the game. The one thing that makes me worry is that I've seen a lot of people, including Taylor, go on and like start preemptively complaining yep. about being left out of the college football playoff as an yep. undefeated team, which no one's saying that they are going to be. People are just saying let it play they're out. Literally ranked fourth, right? Like, and, and and they're doing that thing that JMU did, that karma thing yep. of like, hey, you gotta let us. Don't do that. I, just I wait till it. the end of the year. And and. and there's people I respect who are putting that out there. And I look, the committee ranked them fourth. They're literally saying if the playoffs started today, they'd be in. So I don't understand this idea that like, well, they're going to leave us out of when we're undefeated. Like, no, they're, they're literally telling you that you'd be in right now. All you got to do is take care of business, win the game and you're in Florida state is absolutely in if they beat Louisville. Like, I don't, I think even if, if Florida state beats Louisville by one and Texas beats Oklahoma state by a thousand, they're in. Yeah, Florida in. State's still in, right? Like maybe you could argue if Alabama beats Georgia, like I guess that's the argument. If Alabama were to beat Georgia, they're gonna get they'll gonna put get both them. of them in and take yeah. Florida out. I I don't know, like that's harder. Just but, wait for that man. But how about you just win? How about you just win your game and stop preemptively complaining? I think they should win the game and then they should have signs immediately printed that they hold there, like college football playoff uh ticket you know it's like a little yeah. ticket stuff and just walk around and then everyone will be like oh maybe they got info on that we want georgia well yeah there you go i don't think they do though <laughs> no that's that's what's hilarious about this is everybody's fighting to become that four seed to play georgia you know who's best equipped to beat georgia is in texas i'd watch I'd yeah watch that game. me too listen the conference championships that matter the most are none of these tulane you got to beat smu this country cannot survive Liberty playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. Well, why not just root for New Mexico State? They beat Auburn. Sure. I, Let, let's I'll go. Jerry Kill. The, let's I'll pull just, for them, too. Just end the undefeated season hey, at the very night, beginning you, of this. Friday night, you want to go down to Lynchburg and pull kind, for New Mexico State? Kind of. I kind of do. Can we get New Mexico State jerseys shipped here in time? Brought two-day shipping? I'm see what I can do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I will do that. Yeah, look, that's the that I mean those are big games for this New Year's Six deal and how, you know, the group of whatever. Now the Pac-12 doesn't exist. I don't know how to refer to any conferences anymore. It's very difficult. So Friday night, yeah, if if New Mexico State's able to win Conference USA Championship, that would save everything because I'm worried Tulane can't beat SMU. I'm also excited for Toledo. I they've been my team all year. I put a bunch of bets on them to win the MAC, so Congratulations on making it, Toledo. Get the job done at Ford Field. Go Rockets. Go Rockets. Anything else you want to discuss? 
Not really. We've got fun ACC SEC challenge going on right now. ACC's down. They got to do some work tonight. UVA's got to play Texas A&M. That'll be a good game. Buzz Williams return to John Paul Jones Arena. Excited about that. Yeah. I texted you last night that I wanted to maybe talk about a little bit of basketball, but then I watched State play last night. I don't want to talk about it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Four and three and the teams that won were upsets. Yeah. You got uh, Georgia Tech and Clemson getting big wins. That Clemson win over Alabama was pretty surprising. So It was, yeah. Hope they doesn't doesn't hit me as hard as an ACC fan though. Like I I've always like I have been saying to myself, oh, this is the week of the ACC Big Ten challenge. Oh wait, no, mm. it's mm. oh well. Yeah, something about Syracuse LSU doesn't quite do it for me in a basketball game. That Missouri Pittsburgh barn burner. I'm excited. I I don't think I'll be able to go to the game tonight, but uh, I'm excited. To see all the Texas A&M yell, the cheer, the yell squad. Yeah. They're going to do their swang thing like they did at Mike Elko's announcement. Mm. Where they just get ready for the big game. Super fun. Yeah. yeah, I, I uh, you Hope know. they lose by 80. Yeah, there's some good games in this ACC-SEC challenge. All of the games we mentioned. And then also Louisville plays Bellarmine. <laughs> it's going to be... <laughs> all of Louisville... Look, y'all... I recommend watching all of Louisville's games. They've had already the best drama of any team this season. Their fan base is just melting down online. They barely beat UMBC in the first game of the year, which they won on like some crazy steal in the backcourt. Then this past week, they had to play a game in overtime where the other team ended the game with four players on the court because everyone fouled out four. Every Louisville game is a piece of art. They They are basketball Iowa. At this point, I I love it. I can't get enough. Hey, I mean, listen though, like this is they're gonna still lose a lot of games, but competitive. They lost by one to Texas. They were competitive against Indiana. So yeah, it's like like you said, you have this stuff like, but then they're gonna do they're gonna do some shit, like beat Duke this year. They're like playing NBA Jam with whatever the players are that are <laughs> the worst. So you take whatever team is listed as the worst. You're still going to be in the game at the end, yeah. But you're just probably going to lose. Yeah, they're playing NBA Jam with Sean Bradley. <laughs> Tom Gugliotta shows up. Hey, hold on. No <laughs> Tom Gugliotta slander allowed. Uh, bullets, Tom Gugliotta. Yeah, well, Wolfpack legend. Mm. If you would like to write in with your favorite NBA Jam characters, uh, you can do so by emailing preferredwalkons at yahoo.com, or you can. Just ping us on social media and just like post in like Muggsy Bogues or uh, <laughs> Left Shrimp. Yeah. On uh, at PWO Pod on Instagram or X. So look forward to those, getting those random messages from you. Just <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be pretty funny. That would keep me engaged. Just get a message that says Danielle Marshall. 